Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Good morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. Actually, that's just one member, guys. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Tuesday. And I want to give a shout out to the live chat as well, because we're going to incorporate you guys throughout today's episode. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how a new day is coming for American crypto regulation, but it's not what the people were anticipating. As Elizabeth Warren is now passing a new anti-crypto bill, cracking down on money laundering, drug trafficking, and other sanctions against the USA. We're also going to be talking about how the Bitcoin ETF will create a liquidity crisis heading into 2024. With companies like BlackRock and JP Morgan already filing applications, we have new insight from an insider explaining how this could all happen at the beginning of next year. And with the largest financial firms on the planet in the process of turning digital, we break down the details, showing our community how this next bull run is shaping up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcasts, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3 Warrior Academy channel. So Gonzo, they are already talking about Elizabeth Warren in the live chat. And we're going to break that down in the beginning of today's episode. But first of all, how are you feeling, my friend? And thanks for being here. I'm feeling outstanding, man. It's going to be a, a great show. It's been a while since it's been just me and you. But uh, yeah, man, I'm doing good. Shelly's a little bit sick. That's actually why I'm home. I never get to use kind of my home studio that has the lighting and stuff. I'm always like at, at my work office. So uh, it's kind of cool. I just get to hang out today with you, with you guys in the chat. And then uh, I'll be taking care of Shelly the rest of the day. But um, yeah, man, it's going to be a great show. A lot of craziness in the market, right? A lot of up and down corrections and certain projects running. A lot of unique news today, Gonzo. And some of it, it's not as positive as our typical show because we're going to talk about a crypto bill being passed that could shut down the flourishing crypto market today. But first of all, we got 165 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Thank you for being here on this Tuesday morning. We're going to start this thing off the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates all throughout the day. When we look at some of our daily movers, Gonzo, well, we're looking at the yearly bubble. So let me switch over. We've got Cosmos up 20%, Polkadot up 6%, VeChain up about 10% on the day. That's pretty surprising. AVAX up 8% and Matic up about 5%. When we check out some of the daily movers, we are or the total coin market cap, we are sitting at 1.56 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 52% dominance. Ethereum is about 17%. The Bitcoin fear and greed index is sitting at a 74, Gonzo, still in greed, almost in extreme greed. So could be profit-taking time for some of the big investors out there. Bitcoin is sitting at 41,100. Ethereum is 2,100. XRP just about 62 cents this morning. Solana is $68. And we've got Cardano trading at 57 cents, up 43% on the seven day. 
So it feels like we're in a bear market, Gonzo, but believe me, there are plenty of projects moving right now. And today, we're going to start this show off with an interesting video. This is some new footage I found yesterday out of Fox, and they're talking about a cyber attack that happened in the USA. And the reason I think this is so relevant to the crypto community is because anyone who was around in 2021 and 2020 knows the number one narrative was a cyber attack on our financial system. That could be the start of what's happening today. And these two of the biggest powerhouses globally. So I'm going to play this. We'll talk about it. Here we go. Hackers affiliated with China's People's Liberation Army have infiltrated critical services here in the U.S. Alexandra Hoff joins us now from our nation's capital. Alex, this is not good. No, it's not. I mean, this infiltration appears to be part of a broader effort to insert chaos into our logistical systems. The information collected could then be weaponized if the U.S. and China were to become engaged directly in the Pacific. According to reporting from The Washington Post, citing multiple U.S. and industry security officials, China's cyber army, army is invading critical U.S. services, like an attempt to break into the system behind Texas's independent power grid. Other victims include a water utility in Hawaii, a West Coast port, and at least one oil and gas pipeline, according According to that report you're seeing there. Brandon Wells, executive director of the Department of Homeland Security Cybersecurity Agency, told the Washington Post this, quote, it is very clear that Chinese attempts to compromise critical infrastructure are in part to pre-position themselves to be able to disrupt or destroy that critical infrastructure in the event of a conflict to either prevent the United States from being able to project power into Asia or to cause societal chaos inside the United States to affect our decision making around a crisis. The report notes that over the past year, hackers affiliated with the People's Liberation Army in China have accessed the computer systems of about two dozen critical entities. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. You know, it almost seems like we did a story on a bundle crypto this morning talking about how China uh, was dumping uh, the U.S. dollar, right, and replacing with the yuan. And it's almost like an economic attack on the dollar and that whole de-dollarization narrative. Right. And then, like you said, like back in 2020, there was this big thing about like a cyber war. But it really feels like, look, I, I was in the military, I was in the Marine Corps. I'm the last one that wants any type of like conflict or war. Right. I've had friends that have died. Like, it's just not a good thing. But it feels like that's kind of where we're heading. Some kind of show off, starting off economic, maybe even cyber. Hopefully it doesn't get to that. But it feels like what we're moving up towards is some kind of conflict with China. You're muted, bro. Thanks, dude. Sorry about that, guys. I have two schools of thought when I watch a video like this. The first is, is this WWE? Because we know behind the scenes, they are all part of these global conglomerates, these global organizations. The World Economic Forum, the BIS, they're all working together and pushing us in a certain direction. So is it actually a compromise that happened between China and the U.S.? Or is it just another act that's happening on the world stage in order to push us in a certain direction? I tend to lean towards the second one, Gonzo, but I want to hear your opinion. It's just me and you on the show today, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I thought it was worth addressing. Do you think this is WWE or an actual compromised system and a hack from China into the U.S.? You know, if you look at like Ray Dalio and what he talks about, like the changing world order, it sure does seem like we're, we're setting up for that, right? For some type of transition. Look, the de-dollarization narrative, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen next week. But you see this as these BRIC nations get together and they start talking about, you know, um, exchanging currency in their own currencies, no longer in the dollar. You know, the petrodollar was the strongest thing that held up the dollar. And then you got narratives like Janet Yellen, who instead of like using the word de-dollarization, what does she say? 
she says diversification, right? She says that everything's fine, right? Nothing to see here, that they're just diversifying, right? Because they don't want to put fear in people just yet, right? Because they manipulate people through fear. So right now the word is uh, diversifying. Watch, at some point, it's going to be de-dollarization that they're going to use. And guys, we already have 240 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. This is an ex-BlackRock executive we are going to get into the Elizabeth Warren content, but I want to play the opposite end of this argument. The biggest companies on the planet are moving into crypto. This is a BlackRock insider explaining how behind the scenes, everyone's already endorsing blockchain. Death in the US, uh, it's, it's going to be hugely positive. Uh, and that's because I think the SEC will probably approve all the applications at the same time. I don't think they're going to want to give anybody first mover advantage. And I think what that will mean is because BlackRock is there in the mix uh, and this, this behemoth, uh, they will put a lot of, of their, their power behind it in terms of sales and distribution uh, to, to really make sure that they get the, 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 the sort of go-to ETF, the default ETF. And, and so when, and I, so my background is, and I am ex-BlackRock, uh, so I have some insight into this in the fact that when Vanguard came to Europe with their ETFs, uh, there was comments internally at BlackRock made that they wanted to kill the baby in the bathwater. Mm. And so basically not allow Vanguard to get any you know, any AUM at all, even when they were, you know, don't, don't let them get, it, get anywhere. So I think they'll, they'll probably go with that same same approach. And, and, and if you've got the power of BlackRock uh, promoting Bitcoin and digital assets, I think that has a, a, a major knock-on impact uh, for other products, for other regulators to approve it, uh, and just a real groundswell. Thanks so much. You know, it, it's really interesting, Adams, because we know that ARK Investment, Kathy Woods, they're first in line, right? They either need to approve all of them by that by January 5th, January 10th deadline, or, you know, if they deny it, then BlackRock's application along with the other ones come up in March, right? We see that Elizabeth Warren with her anti-crypto narrative and then how she's got Gary Gensler is her kind of minion. So it's going to be really interesting, right? Like everybody is like 100% guaranteed sure that this thing's going to get approved in January, right? And if we use logic and you, and you see everything that's happening as far as like the dialogue between the SEC and these, um, uh, the people oh, like BlackRock and Kathy Woods and all those guys, they, they're putting certain language and we talked about it on the show yesterday. And it sure does seem like they're getting ready for the approval. But bottom line is like, I think it's a small chance that it gets denied, but you know, you have to keep in mind that there's a chance there, but like, you just can't put anything past uh, Gary Gensler, right? And just the way that he is. More than likely, you know, I think it's a 90% that they're going to, that's what they're saying. The experts saying 90% that this thing's going to get approved in, uh, you know, January to, you know, January 5th, January 10th. The important thing is that if we get a correction right now with Bitcoin, it's a good thing because then the spot ETF pulls us out of the correction. But if we continue just to kind of move up and then we get the spot ETF, we have to look at, is it going to be kind of a sell the rumors thing? Do we push all the way up? to some kind of resistance level that's at like 40K to 50K and then roll over as we get to the halving. It's gonna be really interesting, right? If you look at the gold ETF, when it got approved, right after it got approved, gold actually corrected. A lot of people don't talk about this, but it had a short correction and then it ran up and then kept going up. So, you know, wouldn't be surprised if we're gonna do something very similar, that there's a correction and then, you know, people taking profits off the narrative and then we start to kind of move up. Well, Gonzo, there's a couple important things people should understand before we get into the uh, Elizabeth Warren content for today. Number one is she's filed 36 bills previously. Zero have be ever been approved. So just because you're seeing the headlines, Elizabeth Warren, anti-crypto army, whatever they're saying, doesn't mean this movement is actually happening. And I don't think that a lot of the money behind the scenes is going to be listening to Elizabeth Warren when it comes to this technology. 
This is a primary example as to why, because we covered this yesterday. BlackRock agrees that crypto assets are not securities, citing Ripple and XRP as examples. BlackRock's insights reveal the harsh reality. If a digital asset is deemed a security, it faces a maze of challenges in the U.S. market. The SEC filing against Ripple was a wake-up call to industry leaders, and BlackRock unveiled the market challenges for digital securities. After XRP was labeled an unregistered security by the SEC, it faced trading challenges, liquidity issues, and difficult converting digital assets into U.S. dollars. This was all stemming from a lawsuit filing. BlackRock's insight on crypto assets not being regulated as securities is a massive indicator for the entire crypto industry. This is suggesting a significant shift in the shift of the landscape of crypto adoption in the USA. And so these articles are more important, Gonzo, because what we're seeing is the money behind the scenes, the people who control the regulators are becoming very crypto friendly and they're putting it out there in these filings. I don't want to bore people with the specifics of this, but what do you think? Before we even get into the Elizabeth Warren content, whose opinion matters more? People who are filing the bills, people who are getting co congressional members to sign off on these things or the money behind the scenes that controls the regulators. I'd like to hear your opinion. You know, I think it's the money, right? At the end of the day, like we understand what Elizabeth Warren narrative, she's trying to, you know, and we know what she's trying to do. We'll talk about it in a minute, but she's pushing CBDCs, right? But BlackRock sees an opportunity to make money. And so at some point, a phone call is going to be made if it hasn't already been made or this thing is going to get approved. They're just getting positioned, right? That's what they've been doing this whole time is getting themselves positioned. I think it's great that they're, we see how important that case or that that win was for Ripple because now they're kind of, they're, they're using it as, as a reference point. And it really comes down to like, if these things are securities and not securities, it really complicates things as far as um, how you can use them as an investment vehicle, right? As far as like, you know, the verbiage that the SEC is making them put in there, it, I think it's more to do with disclaimers, right? It's like the warnings things that they have to put in. They have to put in all the possible things that could possibly go wrong so that people, uh, so that you have the disclosures and people know what they're getting into. But like, you know, even if, even if, right, very small chance, this thing gets denied in, in January, on January 10th, it's going to get approved by March, right? It, it, it's just like a delay tactic. It's going to eventually get approved. And, and it's going to get approved in 2024 at the beginning of the year, right? So even if, if it does get denied and we get this massive correction that we usually get like in bull markets, um, it's going to get approved and this thing's going to run. I think that's what that first clip originally highlighted, Gonzo, is that people are ready to make money in this market. And as you can tell from the price charts, money's entering the market now. We're talking about a Bitcoin ETF coming in Q1 of 2024, but liquidity has been coming in over the last four months. I think pricing in that news could be a classic example of what you said with gold. You buy the rumor, the ETF news comes out, and for the next three or four months, Bitcoin actually performs slightly bearish. We go up to 53,000, we retrace back to 38, and from that point forward, we are entering full-blown bull market territory. Now, that's just my prediction, guys, but we got 326 live listeners here. Show us some love, smash that like button, and we're going to break down Elizabeth Warren's anti-crypto bulls. Yep. Because just I just before we move on from that, you were just talking about like money going into the coming into the system. You want me to show the total market cap chart? Yeah. Because I think that like I think that'll tell us right. So th this is Bitcoin. We'll go to the total three, right? This is the altcoin market right here, right? Uh, we've been looking at this thing, right? This was the pivot point that we needed to break. That's why I put the line there, and you can see that like we were above it, and then now we're kind of below it. But we really just need to start closing daily candles. And this is the total three. So this is including Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I know that our community is all coin heavy. But once we start closing daily candles above this point right here, 
which is at 450 billion, dude, it's a huge price gap, right? This thing is going to run right up to this level, right? Somewhere between the 640 billion and 839 billion, right? Like once we break this resistance point, like the next real resistance point is up here. So that's huge, right? And when we talk about like max pain, uh, we can go back to the regular story. But uh, we, when we talk about max pain, people always assume that max pain is, you know, the market corrects and that, you know, the altcoins get crushed. But sometimes max pain is that the market leaves without you. That, you know, people that weren't in the bear market, that weren't dollar cost averaging, they weren't building positions, the market runs and then it doesn't allow you to get a really good entry. And that's max pain. And, you know, there's a couple of things happening that make this cycle different, Gonzo. The first thing is the biggest people who were contrarians of crypto are now adopting these assets. Larry Fink, Jamie Dimon, even people like um, Warren Buffett, who's invested in Nubank in Brazil, which is one of the largest digital asset banks on the planet. He's invested in this stuff. So that's just a sign to everybody that big money's coming in, whether it's old or new, new money is entering the market. And we've got a brand new video to show you guys from Mike Novengratz. But I think there's a couple people who didn't see this clip from yesterday. So I'm going to play this 40 second clip here where Mike Novengratz apologizes to Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse and the crypto community, even going as far as to say the XRP army is not just a force. It's a phenomena. So get ready, guys. The biggest players in this market are not only starting to side with the XRP army, they're ready to start making money. Here's Mike Novengratz' latest update. Interesting. We got a little bit religious on how we thought about these systems. And in reality, they're all communities. They're store of value that communities seem to care about. Like, I, I was skeptical that XRP would have lasting power because Ripple, the company, owns 60% of them, now 55 or 50%. And I was like, that just doesn't seem a, a proposition that's going to work. And I've been dead wrong. Hats off to Brad Garlinghouse and, and his team. Ripple is now, you know, a institution. Uh, you know, the, the XRP army is real. Uh, they care about their ecosystem and their coin. And, you know, yes, it's got a use case, but broadly the use case is the same as Bitcoin. It's another place for people to want to store value. And it's interesting we got a little bit religious on. And we talked about this yesterday, right? Where it's not a store of value, right? It's a, it's a payments rail, right? It's more than a store of value. We know that Bitcoin, it can't, when it was released, it was supposed to be a payment system peer to peer, but it isn't very efficient and it's evolved, right? And they've tried to do things with Lightning and Lightning just hasn't, hasn't worked out. And I really think it's because like the Bitcoin maxis have held on to the code for so long and they're just afraid to just kind of develop it, right? Like we saw what happened this last year with ordinals and the inscriptions and the NFTs and the Bitcoin maxis were freaking out, but it really does need to like evolve, right? To continue growing. But right now the narrative is a store of value, right? And the strongest narrative that we have in this market right now is that spot ETF. But going back to what he said, you know, look, I'm glad he changed his mind. People are allowed to do that. It's a sign of intelligence that you get new information and then you make a new decision, right? Uh, I always like laugh when people say, oh, you're a wobbler, this and that, right? Well, no, like, why would you continue to follow down a path of logic if you get new information and then you recognize, oh, you know what, that was wrong. It, you know, it's a big person to admit, you know what, and I'm not just talking about Novogratz, I'm just talking about human beings. But to admit that you're wrong, sometimes people have a hard time with that. And when you get new information, you make new decisions, right? But XRP definitely isn't a store of value. There's value in the network. So I don't know if maybe that's what he meant. I mean, sometimes we go on these shows. I say dumb things too. 
right? You get nervous and you get kind of sidetracked. But like the more value that comes into the network, the more that that network appreciates, right? And so really that's what it's about. Not Here's what I would say, Gonzo. I think it's very easy for these guys to say one thing and do another behind the scenes. And this is a primary example of that because Mike Novengratz was one of the first American companies to file for an XRP ETF all the way back before the Ripple lawsuit, yet he was claiming to not understand the technology. And I could play a couple of clips right now for our listeners of Mike Novengratz from just 12 months ago saying not only did he agree with the SEC, he thought it was good for the crypto industry. Now, 12 months later, he is not only congratulating Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, and the XRP Army, but instead, he's even putting out quotes like this, where he said, Ripple is trying to be the payment rails for all the money that sits between the banks, and we're not going to know who the winner is for three to five years. The winner is going to be worth a whole lot of money, and the world will be built on top of trust protocol. That's what we're on the precipice of. So we've got Bitcoin in one conversation and real tokens in another conversation. I think both portions of the market can thrive, but... Mike Novengratz understood what this technology was 10 years ago, and he understands what it is today. What he says in the public is not what he believes behind the scenes. That's just my personal opinion. And guys, we got 373 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Let us know in the live chat what you think. Do you believe that Mike Novengratz has for a long time understood this technology, or is he just beginning to understand the potential of Ripple and the XRP protocols being built worldwide. With that being said, here's the latest update out of Mike Novengratz talking about how Ripple has the potential to be the payment rails for the new financial system. Here you go. That's really unique. There are very few assets in the world that have store of value uh, just because. Most assets have to be used. I separate cryptocurrencies into Bitcoin, which I think is a finished product, uh, and the rest of cryptocurrencies, which are use cases that are still to be proven some are spectacular have spectacular capacity uh, possibilities something is going to be the trust layer that lots of stuff gets built on uh, that's programmable uh ripple uh, is trying to be a payment a payment rail uh for all the money that sits in between the banking system uh and so i look at those as that's really unique yeah, and so he's spot on with that, but like, who knows? Like, if deep down inside of Ethereum, like, he really believes that it's going to be like Ethereum. I, I think you're going to get a combination of things, right? Because if you look at it, like, Ripple is trying to replace Swift, right? It's trying to be the new system, the more efficient system, right? But not, I don't think that not all the banks are going to do that, right? Because it takes a lot to kind of replace a system. Think about like, you know, Mark Yusuf has been on the show before and he's talked about like Visa and they use COBOL, right? Once they have a system that works, right? They hold on to it, right? For dear life. And then they kind of patch it together because they're afraid of a new technology that might not work as efficiently, right? And so that's why we really love Chainlink, right? What they're doing with CCIP. Because with CCIP, they can take existing infrastructure that they have now. That's why they're partnered with Swift. And they don't have to retrain employees, right? They don't have to bring in new tech. They could use the same Swift messaging system that they're using now. And on the back end, Chainlink will connect them to blockchain, right? And so that's what they're doing tests right now. And that's why we love CCIP so much, because I think you're going to get a combination thing. In the payments game, you also have what's happening with Solana and the new validator Firedancer, right? Solana Pay is, is, is quietly kind of growing its ecosystem. And it has just a different narrative, right? While Ethereum needs the layer twos to scale and we still need the upgrade to fix what's going on with, with the gas fees, 
with Solana, it's all one blockchain, right? There is no layer twos. You build everything on top of the layer one. And so that might be more appealing to some, right? There are things that you can build on Solana that you cannot build on top of like Ethereum. You want me to keep going? Uh, and <laughs> okay. there'll be a new economy built on okay. top of that. I think he's having technical issues. My gut feeling um, is we not, we're not going to know the winner for three to five years. Uh, I'm not positive it's going to be winner take all. The winner is going to be worth a whole lot of money uh, because more and more of the world will get built on top of a, a trust protocol. What we're investing in now, uh, and there'll be yeah. my... So, and, and he's right, right? I, I think there's going to be more than one winner, right? Whether you lean into like CCIP and then just build, you know, um, taking the existing infrastructure and then connecting it to blockchain, or you get something like Ripple that's going to replace it or XLM or like what I was just talking about with Solana. You know, the Cosmos ecosystem, right now it's running. Why? A lot of people are airdropping. But like when you look at their tech itself, the Cosmos SDK, the reason people build on it is because Hold you're on, able to connect multiple blockchains. I feel like you took this in a completely different direction. So the what we're focusing on here is the fact that Mike Novengratz is not only endorsing XRP, but fully understanding his tech, the technology publicly now. So one of the things that we haven't seen in the past is people who are as powerful as Novengratz, who's a billionaire, co-founder of Galaxy CEO. This guy has been known in American in a, as an American entrepreneur for what, 25 years? He's been renowned, connected. So people like him coming around to these technologies tells me he's a figurehead for a lot of other people. Big money behind the scenes, not only understands the utility of crypto, but they're starting to leverage it right now publicly. And Mike Novengratz admitting in this clip, the clip that we showed prior, that Ripple's most ambitious goal is to be the payment rails for all the money in the world. There's not a lot of projects that are even shooting that high. So I'd like to hear your thoughts. He said it's going to take three to five years. How long do you think it's going to be before we actually see some of this play out before our eyes? Well, I think the narrative is going to be in this cycle, right? I talked about this before about like old coins and old narratives, right? Whereas, you know, we haven't seen the price appreciation that we've wanted in XRP because of like the old narrative that people have gotten used to. So what you do need is you need people like him to catch that narrative again, that payments system kind of narrative or like all the money flowing through it because then it gets people excited, right? What we need is traction, right? That, that's what happens. These new, these new projects are running because they run on the promise, right? The promise, like people like that come into this market, we're not talking about institutional investors, but retail, they, they invest with their emotions. As much as we tell people to keep emotions out of it, they don't use logic, right? So they chase these green candles. They chase the promise of what can be, right? Get rich quick overnight, which we know is not, that, that's just not how it happens. But these older projects like XRP, they need traction. They need fundamentals because we judge them harsher, right? Than some of these newer projects. Uh, as illogical as that is, that seems to be how the log, how kind of, the, the the market is kind of playing out but i think it's a good thing that he's talking about this stuff because if that catches that narrative comes back then you're going to see some serious price appreciation in xrp and some of the other kind of like xln that are in that kind of narrative absolutely gonzo and i feel like there's going to be two sections of the market that really thrive over this next bull cycle remember this if you're, this is your first crypto cycle Bitcoin controls the market, but the way it moves is by the narrative. So we're going to see AI tokens pump, then gaming tokens pump, then smart contract tokens pump. It's not like all of these tokens simultaneously rocket. Liquidity moves through these projects like a wave. It really is like a wave. And it comes in, goes to Bitcoin, Ethereum, some of the other altcoins. 
But here's what's important to remember for XRP investors. XRP moves last in that cycle. So if we're sitting here and Bitcoin's at 70,000 and XRP's at 80 cents, that's not a negative for the market, Gonzo. At least according to previous cycles, XRP typically moves after other projects. And we can break that down later in the episode. But we got 391 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. One other thing I want to point out about Mike Novengratz, he does have an inside source with consensus. And after doing a little private investigation here, it appears to be Joseph Lubin. So if Mike Novengratz is talking positively about Ripple's technology, that means his best friend or his inside source, I know he's very, very close with this man. That's why I'll say best friend. That's not what he's building. He's now supporting a competitor. He's now supporting somebody that Lubin's been very outspoken about what Ripple's building and what the company's doing with the tokens themselves. So we can talk about that later in the episode, but let's break this down, Gonzo, because this was the breaking news out of this morning as Senator Elizabeth Warren has announced an expanded coalition of Senate support for a bipartisan digital asset anti-money laundering act, which would mitigate the illicit financial risks that crypto poses by the loopholes and bringing the digital ecosystem into greater compliance with the anti-money laundering and counterfeiting of financial terrorism frameworks that govern much of the financial system today. So what is she doing here? Consolidating the crypto market, making everything KYC. And luckily, there was a great breakdown I found on Twitter. This is Alex Thorne that I found. So we're going to go through this thread and then we'll give our comments afterwards. Alex Thorne said, this bill from Senator Warren massively expands the Bank Secrecy Act, imposing bank-like KYC rules on non-custodial software products, including FOSS. And it's gaining steam with five new co-sponsors. So five new United States senators have signed off on this bill. Specifically, this bill calls for dramatically expanding the Bank Secrecy Act to cover open source software, including non-custodial wallets, miners, and validating nodes. As a non-custodian centralized software cannot plausibly perform centralized compliance functions, Warrior's bill would effectively outlaw crypto in America. Let me repeat that one more time. Because she's forcing a decentralized network to conform with centralized compliant functions, Warren's bill would outlaw crypto in the United States. It would take miners and validators as an example, and these entities passively add transaction data to the blockchain. While they can exclude known sanctioned addresses, they are structurally incapable of knowing an identity of every single user. It would be impossible for miners and validators to perform KYC on every public blockchain transaction. Indeed, it cannot be even said that these entities even know the customer, so they don't have to comply with KYC. Warren's bill also seeks to impose the Bank Secrecy Act on non-custodial wallets, many of which are free and open source. And to be clear, there's no such thing as an unhosted digital wallet. These are just wallets. Requiring non-custodial open source software to perform bank-like compliance is a big attack on Bitcoin's enemies. And that's the one that they've always threatened. It's impossible for Bitcoin, for example, to comply with this. So it amounts to having an effective ban on Bitcoin in the United States. So it might be a little bit complicated for people to follow, but let me just break it down briefly. What is she stating here? She's forcing crypto to comply with banking rules. And why does that not work? Crypto is decentralized. Banking is centralized. All transactions go through one viewpoint. That is the bank. Everything needs to be tracked at the bank. When it comes to a network like Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, whatever it is, you can't track every single small transaction on every single miner on the world in the world, Gonzo. 
And I think many people, that's pretty self-explanatory. I don't think there's much more to say besides that. So I do want to kick it over to you. And I want to ask our live chat as well. Let us know, give us your comments and we'll pull them up throughout the show. What do you think of this act? And also, if you're still thinking about Novengratz, let us know your opinions on him. But Gonzo, I'd love to start with you. What's your initial reaction to all of this information? Elizabeth Warren is effectively outlawing crypto by forcing it to comply with banking laws and outlawing Bitcoin by forcing it to comply with centralized data rules. It's crazy. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's a direct attack on decentralization, right? And that's the whole narrative. We had Jamie Dimon on there in front of Congress, right? And and that's what that's what they're attacking. Why? They want centralization. Why do they want centralization? Because they want control. She's already said it in different interviews. She's all for a central bank digital currency, right? So she's that's why they're attacking, right? And you can see the narrative as it forms. Like, uh, I think it was last month when they were talking about this whole narrative about terrorists and Hamas, right? They had the expert that was Israeli that was talking about the funding of Hamas. And she admitted that, yeah, in their research, there was about $130 million that was used through crypto for Hamas, but that the majority of is, and she made it a point like, don't, I don't want this to turn into crypto. She said, oh, an attack on crypto, that $90 billion was used in traditional finance, right? In the, in the traditional banking way in Iran, doing uh, uh, terrorist funding, the selling of oil, right? All the traditional ways that they make money, that's what's being used, $90 billion. But they just pushed that aside and they kept pushing that narrative. And she's going to continue to do that, right? Um, what's crazy is you get Jamie Dimon up there talking about just being a total hypocrite, talking, he's basically describing things that 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 JP Morgan has done, right? When you When they talk about like sex traffickers, is there not a bigger sex trafficker than Epstein and everything that went on, right? If you and I go to the bank right now and try to take $15,000 out of the bank or move $15,000, they're all over us, Abs. But Epstein was able to move millions of dollars, right? And no one said anything about it. And they settled out of court, right? When it looks at all the fines. Yeah. Let me actually ask you a, a serious question here. And I referenced this before the show, but I think many of our listeners want insight on this as well. When they're creating these laws and they're creating like Elizabeth Warren's coming out and saying, there's there's terrorist funding. We need to prevent that funding. So we're going to launch rules and regulations so that that can't happen anymore. Are the is Hamas abiding by these rules? This is my oh, this is my where my head goes. And I might be a little bit naive here, but isn't this just an attack on people who are complying? Right. Because if you don't comply as an outside entity, they're not even in the United States. What's the punishment? Oh, yeah, I'm sure Hamas is very concerned about the the lawsuit that Elizabeth Warren filed against them, right? So I don't understand who this is really outlawing and protecting, but I'd like to hear some of your thoughts. Is this actually preventing terrorist funding? Is it, Absolutely it, not. You know, absolutely not. You know, you, you had those experts testify saying where most of the money comes from. We know that most illicit actions are done through cash, right? Not cryptocurrency. Why? Because it's trackable. In fact, in a lot of those things that they presented, they were able to freeze those wallets once they identified them. And then Hamas figured out that we, we shouldn't use this because they're able to shut us down, right? And, and you're right. I think you bring up a really good point, Abs, is that really this isn't about terrorism. That's just the narrative that they're using to scare people to pass this law. It really attacks the law-abiding people. Not to get hella political, but when it comes to like a very similar kind of parallel is gun laws, right? Regardless of how you feel about it. But like when criminals are using guns, it's not law-abiding citizens that are following the law. Criminals don't care, right? It's a stolen gun. It's a ghost gun, right? They're not following the laws. They don't care about the laws, right? They're out 
committing crimes, right? And it's the same thing with this. This is only going to hurt the people that are like, um, that, that are following the law, right? That are already kind of doing what they need to do. Hamas could give a shit whether we have KYC or AML, right? They're, they're going to get their funding the way they get their funding. This is just a narrative that she's using so that she can shove CBDCs down our throats. With that being said, guys, here's another update out of Elizabeth Warren. I'm so curious what was going through your mind when you heard Jamie Dimon's response. Look, when Jamie Dimon and I are in exactly the same place, it's because we have a serious problem in this country. And that is a part of the financial system is being used by terrorists, by drug traffickers, by rogue nations in order to launder money, move money through the system and finance their illegal activities. But keep in mind on this one, it wasn't just Jamie Dimon. We had a long, long table with the CEOs of all of the largest banks in this country. And when I asked the question, should the rules that apply to their banks, and by the way, also apply to stockbrokers and gold traders and credit card companies and credit unions and all the other financial transactors, should those same rules to deal with drug trafficking and terrorism financing and rogue nation financing, should the same rules be put in place? Every single one of them said, absolutely. So what this tells me is it's time. You know what's sad, dude, about that is I don't think it's going to pass, right? Because you've got people like BlackRock, Fidelity, all these companies that really run the country and they want to make money, so it won't. But it, what's sad is, let's say that she got her way at the end of the day, it wouldn't stop any of this, right? Because it's not a means to an end, right? It's just a narrative to push her agenda, right? Of course, all the bankers lined up. Are those the same bankers that have paid, you know, forget about what like Binance paid in the DOJ settlement. That was a drop in the bucket compared to what Jamie Dimon has paid for violating all of these money laundering laws, anti-money laundering. It's in the hundreds of billions of dollars when you add up all the banks. Right. And Gonzo, I, I want to play this clip. I think this explains exactly why they are anti-crypto. We've been deeply opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, etc. If I was the government, I'd close it down. I actually factually disagree with him. When you transfer digital assets, there is a forever chain on the blockchain. In the UAE, they have launched the M2, but it's 100% compliant with the ADGM over there, and it's owned by sovereign wealth. Do you think the sovereign wealth around the world would get involved in trafficking drug money? They don't do that. What they've done is they've said this is a compliant exchange. Jamie is right to be concerned because it's going to kill his margins. If I open an account on M2 and I want to transfer to Simon Britt 80,000 Swiss francs, I can do it in one second at a fraction. Yeah, you know, it's a, it, he's right. Yeah, and I hate to. Agree All right, guys, this is what I want to throw in here because I think this is so important. We've talked a lot about the statements that were made. Let's dive into the reasons that I believe they're made. So, in the beginning of that CNBC clip that we showed our listeners just a minute ago, what did she say? She said, when me and Jamie Dimon are on the same page, you know something horrible is going on or something along those lines, right? Mm -hmm. well, why are they on the same page? They're on the same page because the people who are putting money in Elizabeth Warren pocket are the same people who are aligned with JP Morgan. And I want to be very, very politically correct here because I'm just stating factual information. When you look at who funds the United States senators, it is the same people who are aligned with JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, and so forth. So her drawing the correlation like Jamie's on one side and I'm on the other side, it's unbelievable we both agree on this. 
That is absolutely not the case. It's very misleading. And the reason that I played the Kevin O'Leary clip right after that is because Kevin O'Leary explains why Jamie Dimon is anti-crypto. And so that opinion is just being passed down from Jamie to Elizabeth Warren and then onto programs like CNBC. And I think that's what this clip exposed. Kevin O'Leary said, the reason Jamie Dimon doesn't like projects like Bitcoin is because they make money by doing what Bitcoin does. Bitcoin is a direct competitor to banks like JP Morgan, like Bank of America. And, and there's a lot that can be said there, but I think what's most important to understand is that Elizabeth Warren and Jamie Dimon pretending as if they're on opposite sides, that's not actually the case. And you can look at the finances to validate that information. So Gonzo, I'd love to get your thoughts on what I just broke down. Yeah, I think you're 100%, you know, uh, spot on, right? Like when you see some of these senators and you see like what their total worth is, it's insane, right? Because you see what they make yearly and then what their total value is, it's because of, you know, this is who controls them, the banks. Of course, not just Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency is a direct threat, right? So what do they do? They 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 put her out there, even though this thing's not going to pass. So they can manipulate people. They can manipulate the price. Remember what happened before the gold ETF, right? JP Morgan was shorting the shit out of gold to dump the price so they could get in cheap, knowing that they were going to approve a gold spot ETF, and this thing ran, right? And so you're going to see very similar things in this, right? But the market keeps pushing back. We keep getting the correction, right? And then we get a push up, and then we get a correction, and we get a, a push up, right? Like we really need to get about forty two. 250 but th- I, d- I don't think this is like the big correction that we've been all waiting for yeah but i think it's all i you know it's all narrative dude it's all fun right it's all to manipulate the price um you know we got the scam wick over the weekend that had to do with the liquidation event but like a- as we get closer maybe down to forty thousand, look it's a healthy correction in the altcoins it's just going to give you an opportunity to dollar cost average into some lower positions um, but you know, each person's got to do their own investment thesis, whatever that is, but it's all manipulation at the end of the day. And I think it's important to understand what's happening behind the scenes comes to light eventually. And what we're seeing is opposite narratives from the exact same company. JP Morgan and these companies are excited about being able to make money on a spot crypto product, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and maybe it's not JP Morgan specifically, but it's many of the companies that are aligned with them yet. They're trying to pass a bill to crack down on decentralized assets. So We just spent about five minutes showing you how if Elizabeth Warren's bill was passed and Bitcoin and other cryptos were forced to comply, they wouldn't be able to operate in the United States. Who does that hurt? That hurts me. That hurts Gonzo. That hurts the 409 live listeners that we have because you can't comply with these assets. How are we supposed to buy and sell? You can't even offer them on exchanges if they're forced to comply with things like this. So it's very, very difficult. And I don't think it will be passed. One of our listeners commented, there's almost no momentum for this bill. In some ways, I absolutely agree because the headlines tell you five senators have signed off. That's not a lot, my friends. I mean, you can convince five people to do anything. And I'm sure there's more than five people who are financially incentivized the same way that Elizabeth Warren is. We got 415 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Gonzo, we've talked about a lot of stuff today, but the, the thing that's yet to be addressed is the fact that Google allowed crypto ads starting in early 2024. And we briefly touched this yesterday. I'd like to spend about a minute or two on it here because this is important as well. This signals to everyone that when you turn on your social media app starting in 2024, there will be crypto ads all over the place. The Google page, your TikTok, your Instagram, they're going to enable this technology to be be mass marketed again, Gonzo, 
the same way it was in 2021, except on steroids. We're coming back on steroids, baby, just like Conor McGregor. But guys, yeah. the breaking news <laughs> the breaking news today is that Google shakes up the crypto scene. Starting in late January of 2024, crypto trust ads get the green light, aligning with the anticipated U.S. approval for Bitcoin ETF. These trusts unlock the door to trade shares in digital currency pools, paving the way for a potential ETF in the United States. Google's crypto ad policy updates the expected U.S. approval of Bitcoin ETFs, it stems that this could be kicking off in early 2024, Gonzo. That tells me we got we got two sides of the aisle we're looking at, right? We're talking about the, what's the best word to, what's the best way to call it? Fake news, I guess I would say. The classic example of fake news where you're listening to people on the mainstream media tell you, stay away from crypto. It's, it's for terrorist funding. We showed the statistics. Over a trillion dollars per year are funded illegally in us dollars the number for crypto less than 0.1 percent of that let me say that again less than 0.1 percent that is unbelievable so it just goes to show these are the important narratives guys the fact that mass marketing is coming back to the crypto market big players are entering the game mike novengratz larry fink says tokenization is the future bitcoin is an international store of value now get ready because i think it's about to get exciting but what's your initial reaction to the google news gonzo I think it's a I think it's a good tell, right? That Google is kind of changing their policies because at the top of the article it tells you right there, crypto trust products, right? Not only are you going to get BlackRock, Fidelity, all these guys with all these financial managers pushing their ETFs, but you're going to get blasted, like you said, um, in your face with all the social media, right? It's going to allow them to just do this full-on marketing campaign not just by their financial advisors, but you're going to see it right in front of you. Not just them, but you're going to see it with Coinbase, right? Kraken, crypto.com. We're going to start to see this narrative kind of shift and it's going to be in your face again, right? As we start to run. And this is what brings kind of like the regular person uh, into the market, right? And I showed you guys the graph, right? Where the altcoin market is, where, where the total market cap is, right? We're right at support. We're holding that support at 1.5 trillion. Right. Um, and this thing is only going to go up. Right. What I mean by only go up, I should rephrase that. We're starting off a bull market. Right. Can we get corrections? Yeah, dude, you can get like 20 percent correction, 30 percent corrections. But overall, the trend is up. Right. I, and I can show you here. I'll show you right here since you brought that up. Abs. Right. You can see the total market cap right here. We're at one point five trillion. Here's the support. Right. Like we kind of moved our way above it. Here was the resistance, right? And then now we're above it, right? So once we start moving, this thing can easily gap up to the next level, which is at 2.7, 2.1, right? Another $50 trillion to the next resistant point. We're getting almost to like the top, right? Not a lot of resistance once we kind of stay on top of here, right? I'm paying attention to Bitcoin dominance abs. I'll just show this while you have it, right? This is this weekly trend and we're all heavy into altcoins, right? This is the weekly trend. A lot of people think that this pin bar candle is a reversal candle and that Bitcoin dominance is going to drop. I still think we have more Bitcoin dominance to go up. This is a slight correction, but we'll watch the trend line, right? Because if this drops, we're coming down to these support levels. The altcoin market is going to pump, right? That chart that I showed where you can get a price cap. If we lose this trend line in Bitcoin dominance, like every time if we see the smaller time frames, right? This is a dollar. This move right here. This was all like uh, the um, altcoin market moving up, right? We're getting a little bit of a, a correction right now, but as long as we're above this trend line, 
I think we're good to go, right? Once the trend line breaks, right, that's when you're going to see these altcoins run, right? And when can that happen? Me personally, I think it's like when the Fed start cutting rates, right? As we get into next year and the Bitcoin halving and you get, we saw it in 2019, I've said this before, when the Fed started to cut rates, right, that's when we got an alt season, right? And so a real alt season is here, right? If you look at this, this is alt season, right? We were at 70% and we dropped down to 30%, 40%, right? This happened from like January of 2021 down to May, right? This Let me is just preface season. this, guys. So we got right. 421 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. If you're just joining the show, what Gonzo is comparing here is Bitcoin's dominance as opposed to altcoins. And what he's saying is that when Bitcoin dominance falls, that is good for the altcoin market. That liquidity, yeah. it doesn't exit the market and go into US dollars. It goes from Bitcoin into the bigger altcoins and then eventually into the lower caps. That's what we've seen four cycles in a row. That's decades of data. And Gonzo, I'm looking forward to breaking down this thread as well before the end of the episode. Unlocking the true power of XRP at Ripple Swell event. I summarized an article that Ripple came out with yesterday describing how they're already harnessing the power of XRP for their payment system. But I'd love for you to address the chart real quick. If you could pull up the XRP price chart just really briefly. Mm -hmm. I yeah, just want to check out the momentum because I had a quick question. So yeah. we were looking at, and while Gonzo's pulling this up, I'm just going to keep talking. But while we were looking at the price chart last night, me and a couple of my friends were analyzing this. And what we were anticipating is we needed to make a higher high. So what we were looking at is the momentum of XRP compared to where we broke out to after the lawsuit. Gonzo, if you could just draw a little line to figure out where the top of that is after July. The top of the, the top right there. of uh, so that 95 cent, cent mark. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that was, uh, that's what we had, um, right here. Sorry. I can't see. Oh, there it is. This is where we had the, the SEC lawsuit, right? Yep. It's right there at 93 cents. Yeah. Right? So it's at 94, but yeah, what I was looking at in the XRP price chart is look at what we did. We broke out past those ranges. We got up to the 70 cent range and we were quickly hit a level of resistance. Yep. We're now back testing. And let me get to the question. Cause I think it's important and I think you can answer it. Do we need to make a higher high past that 95 cent mark to continue our bullish momentum? Like, did we just make a lower high and now we're in a short-term bearish trend or are we still bullish when you're analyzing what you're seeing here? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the weekly right here, like this trend has been pretty solid, right? And yeah, like if you look, this is the weekly high time frame, right? And you get these wicks and stuff like that, but let's change it up. I think you could see better if we do it on the closes and see the line, right? And then there, there's what you're talking about, right? Where we you know, like we're making a high, a higher low, higher low, higher low, higher, higher low, high, kind of like here's the next higher high, right? And so we could be like you're saying, we stay above this level and then we break out, and then like the next high can be up here, right? Where maybe we get rejected a little bit, we come down, and then we keep it moving, right? And this is what Waters has been talking about, right? This is on the weekly, yeah, right. Uh, but like this is kind of what he's been talking about. If we go to the Bitcoin versus XRP chart, the pairing, yeah. is that a yep. good indicator of how that liquidity is going to move into the into XRP? Because BC yeah. Backer, while you're pulling that up, BC Backer put out a great tweet from yesterday where he showed that during the yep. 2020 bull run, right now is when XRP actually moved. So he was stating that if we are in a similar cycle to what happened during 2020 slash 2021, XRP is very bullish from a dominance standpoint. I wonder if you can show that on the chart as well and maybe break that down a little bit. Yeah, so like we've been in this range, right? So like up here is when Bitcoin is stronger than XRP, 
right? And then, uh, I'm sorry, down here is when it's stronger. And when it's up here, XRP has more value, right? This is the Bitcoiner. You can see we've kind of been in this range, right? Like we've, like this is kind of like a deviation, right? That we had down here. This is the lawsuit, but we've kind of just been in this range and now we're kind of at the bottom, right? And the whole point of Bitcoin dominance rising is to break the support level of the, of the pairs, right? And you can see where we're at right now, right? We're kind of at that support. Maybe we go down lower, but eventually this thing's going to turn around and then XRP is going to run, right? So the XRP to Bitcoin dominance pairing is going to run and we're going to go back to the top. So that means XRP will be more valuable, right? And, and I think this is going to happen in alt season, right? This thing is going to run up significantly so that your XRP is going to be more valuable than Bitcoin. Right, Gosh, right I'd love now, you to zoom out a couple of years, zoom out all the way back and just show us exactly how this thing plays out. So as you can tell guys, we, yeah. we, what we're looking at here is trading ranges versus deviations. And so as you can tell during these cycles, you're going to have a massive deviation below the line and a massive deviation above it. Why is that information valuable? Because when we look at this chart, it shows us that we are at the bottom of that deviation, the bottom of that index, meaning one of two things are going to happen a massive liquidation and it would be short-lived or we are about to start trending in the opposite direction after nearly three years of bleeding compared to Bitcoin. XRP dominance typically gets between 12 and 17% during a bull market compared to Bitcoin. I'll Let show you me, Bitcoin or XRP dominance. Sorry, I have that. Go ahead. Keep talking. Right now we're at about 2.3%. So even if Bitcoin was to stay at 40,000 and XRP was to climb to that 12% range, we're talking about a 6x. And I know that might not be what many people's exit strategy is saying, but if you're getting to $3 in the next 24 months based off some bullish news, that's that's very optimistic and that wouldn't be a surprise to me based on these charts, Gonzo. But I'd like to hear your thoughts before we close it out with a couple of Twitter threads. Yeah, you know, here's the what you're talking about, Bitcoin, I'm sorry, XRP dominance, right? We're at 2.8. I've seen like things where like, you know, we can get back up to the top of the range and, and, and it's like a... a, a a conservative estimation, you know, we get up to, to 10%, right? That's 10% of the total market. And then you can kind of see, let's say the total market cap of the market goes to some estimates have been seven to 10 trillion and we get to 10%, that's 10% of that, right? 10% of 10 trillion, easy math is 1 trillion, right? It's gonna be lower than that. And so that's where you get these higher kind of price predictions of, of XRP, right? We're still kind of like in a downtrend, but eventually this is going to turn around, right? And it's going to start to move up. And and like like you said, I, I've heard, I don't think we're going to go back up, right? Because there's so many different cryptos. We're not going back up to like this 30% level. But I think, you know, from two to like 10%, I mean, I don't think that's crazy, right? I don't think that's crazy to think that yeah. we can make a move up to this point and get 10% total dominance for a, a project like XRP. And let's go through this Twitter thread now explaining how this utility could be entering the crypto market. We got 404 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Help us break that 200 like mark before the end of the show because this is some very helpful information here, guys. Unlocking the true potential of XRP at Ripple Swell event. Ripple published a longer document yesterday explaining all the major details that came out during Ripple Swell. Here's a couple takeaways about the currency XRP and how it's being utilized. So a global payments revolution is already underway. And XRP is at the forefront, transforming cross-border payments. Ripple Payments, formerly RippleNet, evolves simply B2B transactions, empowering SMEs with seamless plug-and-play solutions. Dubai's Crypto Hub is witnessing XRP's impact in the heart of crypto innovation. As Dubai emerges as a global crypto hub, 
it accelerates with XRP's real-world utility. And as you guys know, if you watched our program, XRP has clarity from the SEC in Dubai. So that's another bullish catalyst for XRP. The DIFC's blockchain leadership, XRP's journey with the UAE thrives under the DIFC's support. Clear frameworks and regulatory approval position XRP as a key asset for licensed firms, contributing to the region's financial and technological innovation. That's the SEC that I was just addressing, guys. So the DIFC, the Dubai version of the SEC, they've already provided clear frameworks for XRP, and now they're positioned to be leveraged by institutions in the UAE. We're also going to talk about their climate finance champion here. As XRP steps into the spotlight at the intersection of sustainability and blockchain, with a focus on climate finance, XRP plays a crucial role in combining climate change and emphasizing its broader impact on traditional use cases. As Ripple Swell event unfolds, XRP not only defines the internet of value, but also stands out as a catalyst for transformative change in payments, innovation, and global sustainability. Very, very bullish news coming out of Swell, but it's not a surprise because there wasn't anything groundbreaking here, Gonzo, just elaborating on many of the developments that we already know about. What do you think? Do you think that the DIFC is going to have a major impact on XRP during this bull market? We know institutions in the UAE can now use XRP. Yeah, you know, I think it's a huge market in the UAE. And when they start to do things, people notice because there's just so much money there. You know, unfortunately, like people are emotional, right? Like we've talked about this, about like what they chase. But all we really need is like the narrative to catch, right? And to get people's attention. And what it could be any of these narratives, right? But it can catch and then it's going to run, right? And 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 don't get me wrong. Some projects are going to do better than others. And they all kind of rise. Once Bitcoin dominance collapses, right? Like the whole market, the whole altcoin market is going to run, right? But some projects are going to run harder than others. But once we get like, whether it's news about like a final settlement, like that the, the case is finally kind of done, done, or some other thing that happens that brings kind of attention to it or a story, right? These projects that have really good stories and really good narratives. Look, I wish it was all about fundamentals and it was all about the technology, but unfortunately people are illogical, right? They're emotional. Like if we all invested with our logic, XRP would be crushing it right now, right? But unfortunately that's just not the way the market moves. And so you need a, a, a narrative, you need a story to be told to catch people's attention. And then what happens is price action starts to go up and then people pay attention, right? When XRP finally breaks out and hits a dollar, everybody and their mother is going to pay attention, right? And everybody's going to start piling in. When they should be like dollar cost averaging right now at the bottom, once it gets past a dollar, that's when they all start kind of piling in and it just pushes the price even higher. Yep. And if we listen to people like Waters Above, we know that utility is not going to drive this cycle. So it's not like we're sitting here saying utility is going to enter the market and drive projects. We're just talking about utilities slowly entering the market and creating real-world use cases for projects like Chainlink, Quant, AVAX. XRP is also in that group. And we got over 400 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And the results of today's user poll are in. With over 335 votes, guys, the people believe XRP will be the top-performing token during next bull run with 72% of our users voting for XRP. So they could have voted for XLM, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. XRP obviously dominated the user poll. What's your immediate reaction? We'll close out the show. Yeah, dude, I, I'm not surprised, right? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. 
uh, good statistic, but like, I, don't, I know we only have a couple of minutes left, but it, it was great being here with you, bro. Like it was, it was cool. Like I know with my schedule, we don't get to like be on as often, but like in April next year, that's all going to change. Pay attention to the Cosmos ecosystem, dude. It's going to start running. People are talking about injected Celestia, Kajira, Akash, all those projects are all people are staking on those with the Kepler wallets because they're going to get airdrops. So pay attention to that. Very cool, guys. And I want us to close out this show by saying thank you to Gonzo for joining us today. we got 383 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button on your way out of here. And thank you for joining us for today's show. This is a quick reminder, guys. When in doubt, zoom out. The crypto market is still thriving. Many projects are up over 100% on the year. And I think that's a great way to end the show. But we love you guys. Tomorrow, Brad Kimes is joining the show. Digital Perspectives. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow. And like we always say, Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Thank Bless you, God.